What is going on, everybody? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Bullpen Cart Podcast presented by Thunderblogsports.com. It is the AL Central preview continuing on with our baseball previews for the 2022 MLB season. I am joined by Brady Fredrickson, my good buddy, to talk about the American League Central Division. He is a White Sox fan. So we talk about all five teams in city order. We give our predictions. We give key matchups, key players. This one was a lot of fun to record. Cannot wait to hear what you all think. As always, though, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Search the bullpen cart wherever you get your pods, Spotify, iTunes, all that good stuff. Follow us on Twitter. ThunderBLG is the handle there. Thunderblog Sports on Instagram. But enjoy the episode. Enjoy spring training. And here we Go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bullpen Card Podcast presented by Thunderblogsports.com, the namesake of the Bullpen Card Podcast feed. Division number three in our 2022 MLB preview is the American League Central. And joining me as he did a year ago. My good friend, Brady Fredrickson. Brady, how are you? I'm good, Jordy. How are you? I'm doing great. We were just talking offline. Spring training's fully underway. I was mainly watching golf, but I got all sorts of updates from a wild offensive Phillies-Blue Jays game, and starters are starting to get some some serious time and seeing names coming across my coming across the board. Uh, just getting me excited, and I'm really excited. The, uh, the offseason's still as hot as it's been since the last time we... we did a podcast obviously you and I did one a year ago but when we did the NL West on Saturday there were still some deals out there and they're still coming through I mean how exciting is it it's pretty crazy it seems like everything's kind of happened all at once the last week and a half I mean I just I I almost can't keep up because it's like you look at all the baseball transactions and you see all the football trades and signings and stuff and it's just like your head spins because you know you, you pay attention to one thing yesterday and then the next day you see that like Oh, Trevor Story just casually signed with the Red Sox. Like little things yeah. like that that like typically should not slip by the periphery are just like sliding under the door because we're what like two, three weeks away from the season starting. Yeah, it's it's completely insane, and you're exactly right because of all the different news, football trades, almost overshadowing anything like they do. And yeah, the the story news. What was it Sunday that came over the line when kind of nothing else was going on, but it still kind of just snuck by. And yeah, it's it's been absolutely crazy. I mean, literally deals happening at 1130 at night. That was the Castellanos deal with the Phillies. He posted that thing on the Rocky steps at like 11 and then the, the news got leaked. I think it might have even been after midnight. So like you go to bed and that's how the players have been reacting to it. So it's kind of fun. The same thing with us of going to bed and waking up the, ne- the next day and scrolling through Twitter, scrolling through Yahoo, wherever you go to get your news to get to find that out and getting it left and right has been absolutely exciting. How uh. How have you been since the since we last talked since the, the off season, the lockout? Oh, pretty great. I uh, went to Arizona with my wife last week or this past weekend, so um, we're close to baseball, but not you know close enough to go to a game or anything. But um, you know, recharged and ready, and and you know, I'm in Michigan now. I was in South Carolina before last time we talked, so now I'm very eager for baseball season to start because that means that spring is here. And let me tell you up here, spring is not here yet. Yeah. We've gotten uh, in Pennsylvania, we get fake spring a number of different times. There's usually without fail, 
some weekend right around the Super Bowl that's 60-ish and feels incredible. You like want to break out the shorts, but then the wind fires up and you, you're still wearing pants, but you're outside maybe trying to sneak in around a golf. We had days in the 60s and 70s last week, and I played last Friday and Sunday. And now today it's been 45 all day, so we're back to that. I'm going to Arizona tomorrow for my stepbrother's bachelor party. Shout out Pete. I doubt he's listening because he's not really a baseball fan. But, yeah, it's uh, one last escape before we get to hopefully the actual real start of spring. And, you know, the season only losing a, a calendar week, and they're going to play the full 60, 162. It's going to be fun. We we got the news that the we're going to have nine-inning doubleheaders officially. The Ghost Runner is back. Are you a fan of the Ghost Runner? No, but no. I'm also not a fan of, like, seven-hour games that last 15 innings. I remember when I was a kid, though. Like, it'd be so cool to see a game where it's like seven to seven in the top of the 18th. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's so cool. And then I, you know, had my time as an actual sports reporter. And I'm like, no, no, no. 17 innings is legitimately <laughs> the worst thing ever. And so now I've kind of come back on that as yeah. as it, it's, a, it's a good it's a good way to do it. But I'm glad they're getting rid of it, though. I just think it's so silly, especially because like like there was a time last year I'm a White Sox fan. And so like. There was a situation like the first time the Sox ended up in an extra innings game. I'm pretty sure Tony LaRusso did not understand how the rules worked. And so, like, it involved something where I want to say Lance Lynn was out there standing on second base. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is bad. So yeah. I think that might be skewing my opinion of it. But, uh, you know, keep the ghost runner back to the uh, the playground. Well, so they announced it's coming back. And they also announced the new, effectively the Shohei Otani rule, where if – the starting pitcher leaves the game and was also the and technically was previously a pitcher, but if they leave the game, the DH stays in. So if they were also the DH, which technically they were just the pitcher a year ago, but now Shohei Otani would be both the DH and the pitcher and can remain in the game, which I think is an awesome rule. It it does take away, or I don't know if it actually takes away my favorite trivia fact of what happens when the DH leaves the game because if it if it's something where like Bryce Harper's the DH and then comes into right field if. The pitcher has to bat. I feel like the spirit of the rule is for it not to do that, and the DH just remains in the game. But we hopefully aren't going to have to have that situation again where you have a pitcher on second base because of the ghost runner. Right, yeah, and I don't think – and I think the thing about, like, the two-way players and how it, like, helps the Otani types is, like, I think we're still probably, like, five to ten years away from having more than a handful of those kind of guys. I mean, especially, like, Otani-caliber dudes, like – there are still guys that get drafted every year, high school guys specifically, who are like really good hitters and pitchers. And I think the Rays have a guy, Brendan McKay, who was going to try it. He was a really good hitter at Louisville and also a good pitcher, but like they abandoned that so quick. I think it's just, you have to be so damn good at pitching to be able to like balance also taking BP and like becoming a better hitter. That is just so tough. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, It'll be really cool to see of just that and and where this season goes with the new expanded format and everything there. I didn't realize until recently, and we did a show where we talked about it, and I thought that it might have been one game, but it's the three. They're bringing back the three game series for the expanded format, so that's actually pretty cool. And I guess baseball has to be over the moon for that with all the revenue, right? Right. I like that, and I think I also like, and I think the thing about double headers, which is the other part of this, you know, truncated season, is that um, you know a weekend double header like it's a lot of baseball. But it gives you the opportunity where, like, you know, on a Saturday night, people with families probably don't want to take their kids to a game that starts at 7, won't get done until 10, 10, 30. But if you have more of those doubleheaders on a weekend, which I don't know if that's how they've figured out how to do it, 
they might just be on Mondays, which, you know, is good for no one. But, uh, yeah. you know, if you have double headers on weekends like that and more of them, I feel like that's just an easy way to get people to the ballpark because, oh, yeah. um, you know, and the other thing too, I remember last year, tickets for double headers at games were not cheaper, even though it was only a seven inning game. So really? I'm glad they're back to nine. No, I went to a Tigers and Astros game, which the first half of the double header and the tickets were free for us. We got it from work, but I know people paid full price for that game. And I was like, that's BS. That, that should BS. not be it. So that's terrible. Yeah. So. Yep. I went to a true doubleheader once as a kid. The Phillies were playing the Diamondbacks, and it, it was exactly that. I was probably 13 or 14, and it was like a 3 o'clock start for the first game. So the second game started around 7, and it was like the coolest thing. So I think you're right. Hopefully, like, either the if it is a day-night doubleheader or whatever it happens to be, if, that it brings more people to the ballpark, especially on the weekends and that kind of stuff. That's a really good point that I hadn't thought of. As an adult, I would love to try and do a um... – both sides of a double header while just like drinking my ass off the whole time. I'm not sure I'd make it through the night game, but I'd love to give that challenge a whirl. Well, I always find it funny. The Phillies do these like after game concerts. So you buy a ticket and you can stick around for it. Cause it's, it's a pretty open park. So there's plenty of standing room, but you can buy like a specific ticket that gets you down to the third or first baseline, depending on where they're putting the stage, but they still do no beer after the seventh inning. But then as soon as the final out happens, the beer stands, pop back open so why not just keep it there or whatever like it's close to the subway i get it you don't want people drinking and driving and that's terrible but now in the age of uber in the age of you know more people taking public transportation just figure out some way to do that especially if if double headers are gonna be more of the norm which i think a lot of people hopefully are excited about as we were just talking about but you know figure something out that way of of that kind of thing because they even have like the designated driver of the game at least the phillies they always give away like packages to people that register so like I don't know. Figure out something there is people. I'm also one. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody listening to this that loves to have a couple pops at a game. You know, figure something out that way. <laughs> right. No, I agree. with hundred percent. Yeah. But let's jump into the AL Central. You are a White Sox fan. We're going to start with them. As usual, we go city by city. Before we jump into your team, do you have any thoughts on the division as a whole? I think it's bad. I think it's <laughs> yeah. it's been bad for a long time. Um, it seems like, honestly, since... I don't know. I think we're the same age since we were in high school. So that like 2008, 2009, 2010 era, like since that time, I don't think it's really had much parity. I can remember back in those days, like the White Sox had their peak in 05 and they were still competitive until about 2010. And then the twins have obviously until recently been pretty good consistently, although they're kind of the opposite once the playoffs roll around, Um, you know, Cleveland had its time. Detroit had a really, really good run. Kansas City obviously won it. So it's been, there's been some parody and there's been times where different teams have like searched the top. But I think it's been about five or six years since we've seen two legitimately, legitimately good teams at the top. I don't, I wouldn't even count 2020 because I think the White Sox and Twins were good that year. But honestly, I don't think you can really look at that season and, and garner anything from it. Yeah, that, that's totally agree with that of anything in 2020, throw out those stats. Although Bryce Harper did carry as good a year over until, until, last year so there's at least that there were mm-hmm. some indications but most stats just throw it away anything with it and but yeah I, I totally agree with you the fact that the twins have finally decided to do something serious in terms of making serious acquisitions and having potentially a two-dog race is is exciting to see so that at least from a baseball perspective and seeing what the AL East has in order for it to see what the twins could possibly do is exciting at least from a baseball fan perspective yeah, and I think it's just funny. I like, you know, I'm I'm looking at the uh, the Pocota standings right now, which is the computer projections from Baseball Perspectives that kind of run those 
uh, different numbers to try and figure out which teams are good, which teams are bad, et cetera, et cetera. They're not perfect, obviously, but um, you know, I look at the way that they have the standings and we can talk about something, dive into the teams, but the order in which they have the standings is not necessarily how I would think of it, but okay. I, I'm also not factoring in Minnesota's big move they made this past week. So yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I don't know how up to date fan says they have the twins at 81 and 81, which I don't know. We'll jump into them in a little bit, but that might be a little low. I feel like. Yeah, it's possible, but yeah. I think Chicago is for sure the cream of the crop. Like that's the oh, best yeah. team. And they've been, they've been building toward that for years because they were one of those teams that just kept spending and trying to bring in solid to good guys, never really having a great guy after yeah. they won the world series. And so it was just a matter of like, you know, washed up dudes, like the white Sox, honestly, if you look at their, you know, past history here, like they've had some of the most incredible big name players well past their prime. Like they had Manny Ramirez for a time. They had Alex Rios. They had Ken Griffey jr. Like what people forget, but like, they're just so consistently like trying and trying and trying that I'm glad they finally blew it up. And now they've had, you know, two really productive seasons and appear to continue to be, you know, taking that step forward each time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the perfect way to start. They come back in. Obviously last year had all sorts of hype and lived up to it. Or at least did you think they lived up to it as a fan? What was your kind of takeaway from the 2021 season? I would have hoped they could have done more in the playoffs. They kind of went out with a whimper. I think, I think winning the division was, was a pretty realistic goal. I thought 93, 94 wins, which is what they got was good um because you know they they were one of the few teams in 2020 that carried that short season success over as a team to 2021 um and on that front it was good to see but i think um you just look at their team like i thought injuries killed them at the end of the year they lost carlos Rodon, and he was a shell of himself i thought if he was healthy they would have had a significantly better chance to potentially win more games maybe past the astros instead of you know being behind them and subsequently losing to them in the playoffs but i think you know the way they lost in the playoffs was just like, I wouldn't want to call it outclassed, but it was a lot of, you know, poor defense, bad situational hitting. They're a very boomer bust team. And so, you know, you can rely on this really good pitching staff to do so much, but you need to be able to make the plays behind them and on the other side of the the plate. But uh, I think that they're, they're still one of those flawed teams, but I just can't look at that team and see the talent they have. And, and, and not expect more because there's just so many guys who still could do more, you know, yeah. it's not necessarily given, but there's just more to get there. Yeah. That's a really good point. And obviously at the start of the year, you had the big injury and did yeah, kind of injuries were that way. I kind of forgot that watching that first game against the Astros and seeing it and you, you kind of had a bad feeling going, going out of it, but you thought maybe this would be mm-hmm. a good series. It was the series that I thought would have the, would have the most hype to it. And then that Red Sox race series ended up being, absolutely insane with the Red Sox completely dismantling them but yeah but yeah you're right it was kind of out with a whimper I kind of forgot how that there was that feeling right away in that first game so that's a really good point there but yeah it was just it was just like it was yeah it's just it's just you know getting I mean I'm pretty sure the Astros stole like 12 bases in that series and the White Sox could do nothing about it and they were just nickel and dining them and I think it was uh it was really the moment that Kyle Tucker kind of became the star that he's viewed at this year because he was kind of just one of those guys who was who finally those prospects who finally figured it out during the regular season but he blew up in the playoffs and that series was kind of the the starting point for him and at at the Sox expense yeah yeah and it's um but looking at looking at this year's team you know it should be more of the same you mentioned the pitching staff that top three is still 
really, really good. And then obviously retained Kimbrel after trading for him with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And you got to feel pretty excited to that. You added Joe Kelly, which I feel like is a pretty big addition for just middle to late relief. And I, I feel like that's that might make a pretty big difference. Yeah, I think that the pitching staff is still really, I wouldn't call it peerless because Dallas Keuchel was one of those guys who fell quite far off after last season. And he's had a really bad spring too. I think it might just be over for him as a ground ball guy who's, yeah. you know, getting up there in age. But I mean, I still think there's more for Lucas Giolito than what he's shown. I think he's inconsistent still, but at his best, he's, you know, one of those really, really good elite guys. I think he's just very inconsistent. And then, sure. um, you know, the rest of the the pitching staff, Dylan Cease is a guy who I think could step up. I see him very similarly to Giolito as like high strikeout, like unpredictable dude, but still capable of doing really good things when he's on. Yeah. Um, and he kind of had a mini breakout last year. But I mean, Lance Lynn is the kind of focal point of that rotation. And, you know, he's getting up to the niche too, but his, you know, his style is just so ageless and he's changed the way he pitches so much over the years that I feel like he's one of those guys who in a lot of ways reminds me of another White Sox pitcher uh Mark Burley and just That's goes about it quick does his does his thing isn't gonna put up like you know superstar numbers even though I know he was the Cy Young winner last year but like that's the guy who you can rely on to get you out of a rut um but yeah bullpen I mean Kendall Graveman Joe Kelly uh Garrett Crochet is a young guy out of that bullpen who's super good. I mean, they and then Kimbrell, obviously, and Lance or Liam Hendricks. They have just a laundry list of bullpen guys. But I, I think the biggest subtraction from the bullpen, in addition to the rotation for them, will be Michael Kopech, who could either, you know, fall apart in that starting role because he's just his body can't handle it, or he could just be one of those guys who jumps up there with Cease and Giolito as this you know star he was viewed at when he was a Red Sox prospect yeah and uh Fangraphs has him at least throwing a decent amount of the season but they don't have him over 115 innings pitched on their their projection so does that mean so he's starting the rotation does that mean that maybe they're thinking there's injury concerns or is there problems there they might have to leave the rotation go back to the bullpen I know they signed some other pitchers one of whom I'm very familiar with and for your hope I hope Vince Velasquez never has to start a game for the White Sox. <laughs> the funny thing about that is I actually, I've always liked Vince Velasquez from afar because there uh, he has sucked. I 100% agree with that. But there are other times where like he has on. Times It's had, fun. Yeah, and he, he, he's got some nasty stuff. So like I think there's part of me that is like, you know, the White Sox have a really good pitching coach who, who fixed, you know, Lucas Giolito was, you know, an eyelash away from being out of baseball. That's how terrible he was before Ethan Katz, who was his high school coach. Actually, ironically, the or uh, funny enough, the high school coach of Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty, and Max Freed down in really? Texas. So he's wow. yeah, he's got some pedigree. Um, but I just wonder if he also got obviously Radon was another guy who, you know, just kind of had this pedigree but never figured out how to really show it. And then yeah. all of a sudden last year he's a Cy Young contender. So like I'm not expecting Velasquez to become any sort of gangbusters type of guy. But I think if you can take him from, he had a 6.3 ERA last year, which is pretty terrible. But if you can get him back down to how he was early in his Phillies time where he had that low fours ERA, he struck out a batter in inning, like that could be useful, especially as you try and kind of babysit Kopak, who has never pitched, you know, a large starting uh, amount of innings. He's just always kind of been either hurt or, you know, he was suspended one year. So he's never really been able to shoulder that whole load. So I think that might be kind of the piggyback there. 
Okay. That that that's very enlightening and interesting. Um, I hope that it, it goes well because obviously that top three is is great to see and it'll be really fun to go. Offensively, or I guess batting lineup, how are you feeling there? I think they're pretty much the same team they were last year. Yeah. You know, they didn't really add anybody. They they've kind of had this weak spot in uh in like right field and second base where it was a lot of Lurie Garcia and he kind of just occupied both roles. Danny Mendick was a guy who was, you know, a quad A player who could play good defense in the infield, but he wasn't really, you know, the type of guy you want up there. Adam Engel was another defensive player who couldn't hit. So they had these filler guys who could play these spots, but they never really had any sort of solid person in those roles. I don't think they've really fixed that now, but I think Josh Harrison, you know, of uh, mostly, I guess, Nationals fame, right? Where was Josh Harrison's prime at? It was in Washington, right? Uh, Washington, was he with the Pirates for a while? Pirates, yeah, Washington yeah. Pirates. Uh, I know he played out west of the A's last year. So, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a guy who will fill in that role on second base. He can play a little bit of outfield. He's got some swagger. I like his, you know, attitude and what he brings. And he's a vet who's got a ring, I think. So, like, those kind of things are good. And then in, in, in right field, they've kind of got two young guys, Gavin Sheets, who hits dingers but doesn't do a whole lot else. Yeah. And then Andrew Vaughn, who is more of a DH first base, but they played him a lot in the outfield. He did pretty well. So there's like spots that they can get upside from. I don't think Andrew Vaughn's going to be worse than he was last year. He's a pretty highly regarded prospect. Yeah. Um, but overall, I don't know. The rest of the lineup just seems like, you know, you know what you're going to get from Jose Abreu. You know what you're going to get from Tim Anderson. I think there's a lot more that Eli Jimenez could do, especially yeah. if he's not injured, which he got hurt the first game in spring training last year. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a thing to factor and they won 90 some games and he was out for three quarters of the season. Um, but the one I look at the most as kind of a breakout breakout is Lewis Robert, who I think really could like blow up this season. Like he was good last year and missed a lot of time still, but you know, still put up great numbers. I think he could be like MVP good at his peak this year. Yeah, that's what, that's what he was throughout the minors, right? When he was coming up through the system, it was kind of wait until he gets there. Yeah, and he's I mean, he's already a gold glover. He was a gold glover yeah. last year. He's got speed. He's got power. He's lowered his strikeout rate considerably from his rookie year to his sophomore year. And I think, you know, he's of all tools and not a lot of, like, production in terms of, you know, the amount of time he's actually been on the field. Yeah. Um, I just think that there's a ceiling there that isn't, like, I'm not going to compare him to, like, Mike Trout and those guys because those are the greatest <laughs> players of all time. But yeah. I really think, like, if you're, look, if you're looking to, to play a futures bet, like you can do a lot worse than Lewis Robert. I think I checked it last. I think he's like plus five thousand to win AL MVP. Like you can do a lot worse with ten bucks than that. Yeah. So that's my thought. I think he's got that ceiling. I think he should for sure be an All Star, and I think there's a very good chance by the end of the year he's the best player. Yeah, he was on a. I drafted with a lot of high expectations, and then as you mentioned, the injuries just kind of in and out of the lineup and all that it was. Um, and then he was hurt for a while, right? And yeah, it was one that uh. I didn't want to let go of because I didn't want to a lot of White Sox players just didn't really want to give up on and all that sort of stuff unless it was really long term. But he's one that I'm that I've been excited about. My cousin or my wife's cousin was the GM of the I don't know what their name is now, but at the time, Canapolis Intimidators and got to meet him and said he was probably one of the nicest guys when he played like I think he played literally one game for him when he was there, but said he was super nice. So I've always kind of kept an eye on him. So he's one I've, I've always kept a a special place in my heart for. I had a, a funny story about Lewis Robert. There was um, uh, one of my friends from Charleston. Uh, he used to always go to 
minor league games and check out the top prospects and stuff. And they were in uh, um, Charlotte to check out a game. And I don't remember if it was before he debuted in 2020, if it was last year on a rehab. It might have been last year on rehab. Anyways, he was on the third baseline trying to get an autograph or just chatting it up with somebody. I forget what. It was batting practice. And somebody went up there and just cracked a foul ball, like a fireball, not just like a lazy fly ball to the foul territory, but just a laser. Yeah. And cracked him right in the chin. Knocked him out. Your like, friend concussed or concussed my friend, my friend. So oh, then in my friend. So then afterwards, uh, the team's like, you know, making sure he's okay. They take him over and lo and behold, it's, it's Robert walking over and he's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, man, big fan. And he was like, okay, bye. So it was like <laughs> this very like limited interaction, but like, yeah, you know, Lewis Robert knocked you in the chin with a, you know, a foul ball. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> very small, very small, like, chance of happening but yeah it's a funny story that's really funny um any other final thoughts before we move on um you know i thought they were a team that could get more this offseason like sign more i i think the bullpen stuff is fine i just i think you can get bullpen guys for so cheap at the trade deadline there are yeah. bad teams trying to trade good relievers every single year and i just think and kendall graveman's really good so like on that front like Sure, I understand going and getting him. He's a ground ball pitcher. Keeps it out. You know, Liam Hendricks has a tendency to get up home runs, so it makes sense. Um, I just think maybe down the line, you know, once teams start to figure out who they are this season and, you know, realize, hey, I don't have a closer, I think that's when the market for Craig Kimbrell will pick back up. And I think you could see them trade him, not for prospects necessarily, but for a, you know, starting caliber outfielder type guy to step in there and kind of, supplant the young dudes they already have playing around there. And I think that would be, you know, beneficial for them and probably would help any team that Craig Kimball goes to too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's keep moving. We go to the now newly minted Cleveland guardians, a team that um, has had quite the turnover from the last couple of years. Is that a good way to put it? That's that's, that's lightly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so they, I, you know, I love the, what do you think of the name first off? I just need to know because it's been very polarizing and I, I feel like I'm in the minority on this. I like it. So I didn't really know what the deal was until probably a couple hours after the name got announced where they're like, here's the deal. Here's why it's the guardians and all that with the bridge and all that. And I like the, the nod to the city and everything you've seen like in a number of different things, whether whatever sport it is, you see it all the time in the NBA with the city jerseys and, like the, right. I remember when the Kraken came out, they released their logo, they released their jerseys, and they explained, like, here's why we did everything. So it makes a lot of sense, and it's a good nod to the city. I know changing the name from the Indians amongst Clevelanders was, I know they really liked it yeah. and everything, and obviously, you know, there's political things that go into that. But, you know, I think it's a good nod to them and showing that they're at least invested in their fan base, right? Yeah, it's going to be hard to not call them the Indians. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I still think, I think I still call... I don't call the, the the Chargers San Diego very much, but I definitely refer to the Raiders as Oakland way too much. I accidentally and that's not even to like the, the team name. I accidentally refer to the Chargers as the Clippers because it's LAC. That's my problem with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would also cause issues. Yes. Yeah. CG, I guess. C L E G, I don't know. That's yeah. There's not really many G teams except for the Giants. Yeah, so yeah. uh and then yeah. Um but, I yeah. Oh, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I think that it's just, you know, rebranding a team like this. They did. They obviously had their hand forced, but like you'd like to debut a new team and new team name, New Jersey's new kind of era. 
um, you know, when you're good, not when you're on the downturn like this. Yeah. Uh, the commanders are in a, a different, uh, a similar situation in terms of their situation, but they've, but they at least haven't been good recently. I know they obviously won the division a couple of years ago, thanks to, uh, some tomfoolery from Doug Peterson, but, um, yeah, they, they're in a position where they still have big names. They still obviously have Shane Bieber. They have Jose Ramirez, who I'm trying to see how old he is, but I feel like he's starting to get over, getting get up there, but I feel like he still has value in terms of, especially if he comes out and firing and is staying healthy and everything there might be a big name to watch out for. I don't know if yeah. they they try to deal Bieber to really just unload it and, and reload that way. Is, is that a possibility to think about? I feel like Bieber's the one you build around because he's 26 yeah. and you know, he was not very good last year. He had some injury concerns. So I'm sure his value is pretty low, but I mean, overall he's really, you know, 500 innings in four years. That's not that high. He's had the one like super ace year where he pitched 200 innings, had 300 Ks almost like he was incredible. And then last year, obviously, you know, had this, had to sit basically half the season out. Yeah, so that's a problem. I would keep, I'd keep that build around it. But I think the thing was, when you look at their offense, it's just like, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Like Jose Ramirez, obviously stud, but like yeah. he's 29. Do you keep him? Do you trade him? I've seen, I've read that they want to try and potentially move him, but like, who's going to pay up, you know, at this point, it's going to be one of those things. that will be a lot more interesting in July, but outside of him, I don't see like, any other hitter on that team that I'm like, oh, he's good. Like Fred Mel Reyes. I love Fred Mel Reyes, but he's a butcher in the outfield. He's a DH. So oh, yeah. you can only take so much value out of that. Well, the other crazy thing to look at is at least and Yahoo's not always super updated with these, but looking at the players that aren't spring training invites, or at least on the spring training roster, the only players they're paying more than a million dollars for is Jose Ramirez at 9 million, Ahmed Rosario at 2.4, and then Austin Hedges at 2.3. So they really, not not a ton of investment in terms of, of fielding, and, and you're going to see a lot of that translate to the field in that way. And that's a little concerning. That might be not the Cleveland, the mid-10s Cleveland team that we saw matching the ball, having good pitching, and, and go that way. They're, they're certainly not going to be that level, especially once you get outside of Bieber, depending on what he looks like. But offensively, I just... I don't see a ton of it, even just looking at projections of projected war and all that sort of stuff. Not a lot above one, maybe Miles Straw, but really outside of Ramirez, it's almost an island for him. Yeah, I like Miles Straw. He's just kind of, I know he's a, he was big in the, the union negotiations and stuff, yeah. and he's a fun player because he's kind of old school and then he's not going to, he's going to hit four home runs in 150 games, but he'll steal 30 bases. And, he always makes contact. He's kind of like a poor man's Juan Pierre in that way. Well, that's a good one. And like another one I like on their team because I, you know, you look through it. They have a lot of guys who, you know, for fantasy purposes, you look at them and you're like, oh, he might steal 20 bags. And like, that's fine. But yeah. like, what else do they do? And I think um, Ahmed Rosario is a dude who had a ton of pedigree when he was with the Mets, came up, didn't really ever fulfill that <clears throat> potential. But he is one that I know last year finished pretty strongly. I don't think the overarching numbers are really going to blow you away. Like 282, 11 homers, 57 RBI. But, you know, you take that kind of guy and you put him out there and you have him play good defense. He's versatile enough to play outfield. Like there's things that you can, you know, do with a guy like that. And it's also one of those types of players who you can try and sell at the deadline. And then he can obviously help a team that actually has aspirations. So that, that I don't know. This can get a lot worse before it gets better because, I look at their pitching staff, and again, I don't think there's much to be excited about there except for maybe outside of Bieber, 
because I'm not a real big fan of uh, the rest of their staff. I think Tristan McKenzie is the only guy who intrigues me, but yeah. there's a chance he plays most of the year in AAA because he just is bad, you know? Yeah, he looks bad. He, he had some injury problems last year, and in one league I was in was just constantly getting added, dropped, added, dropped, added, dropped. I think one guy and I effectively were trading back and forth for him on adding and dropping because the, the league was so pitcher heavy. But, like, you mentioned it of just guys there – who else in their pitching staff are you really like really going to bat for quite literally to try to really think like, I'm not really a big fan of, of, of Quantrill, not really a fan of please. They're both, they're all just, just a guy. Like yeah, Savale is just a guy. Like they have a bunch of just a guys and like, it's fine to have, like, honestly, you look at their rotation, it's Beaver, Savale, please Quantrill and McKenzie. Like say McKenzie even reaches his, you know, medium outcome he also, and he's like your third starter. Those guys, those other guys should be your fourth or fifth starter. They yeah. should not be your second. And they don't eat innings. And that's the big problem is their bullpen is barren. So they're going to really What's, like, you're going to see like basically what you saw in, in non Zach Wheeler days for the Phillies of like, if they have to go through a gauntlet of doubleheader games and stuff like that. You're going to have games where they might try to do a reliever day where it's, you better hope the score is 10 to nine and you're hopefully around there late in the game. It's just, <laughs> it's unfortunate. The funny part about it is that like James Karen Jack's a guy who I loved in fantasy last year because he just was a strikeout fiend. Yeah. And like, he was just wild and I think he's hurt right now, but he's just crazy and can't keep the ball over the plate, but throws gas. And then Emmanuel class, a, another dude who just strikes out a bunch of guys, you know, throws a nasty uh, change up, but like, again, can't keep it above the plate and what's funny you look at their bullpen and like i'm not gonna bore you with some of these names but they're you know their number four reliever according to espn is anthony ghost and anthony ghost was a freaking outfielder for the astros and tigers like four <laughs> years ago like i yeah. like when i was in when i was in florida covering spring training and stuff the tigers had anthony ghost and he was transitioning like ricky and keel did from outfielder to pitcher so his pitching kind of life cycle has come full circle and he's back in the majors but like to be like relying on that guy as a top five bullpen dude just just blows my mind. Even though he had a one three five ERA last year, it's just crazy that that's yeah. the point they're at right now. Yeah, it's it's going to be wild to see because they've been good for seemingly so long. I mean, they when did they really rise to the to the level they were? Like two thousand thirteen was that the first year of the Windians? Yeah, I would say it kind of corresponded with when uh, when, oh when Frank got trade. there. When Francona got there, but also yeah. um, who, the shortstop they traded to the uh, um, oh, to the Lindor. Mets. Blown. Lindor. When Francisco Lindor came up, they kind of had their second win because there was that Grady Sizemore, CC Sabathia oh, years, yeah. and then they kind of rebounded after that. And it was like Francona's here, Jason Kipnis is good, Kluber's amazing, and Carrasco's good, and they were good for it could, yeah 2013, so probably about you know eight years of really high level ba- baseball, but like. I don't know. It's just, you have to reach a point where like your average age gets up there. And, you know, I don't think Francona's has even really been super present lately. Like he's yeah. been dealing with health issues and stuff too. Yeah, so like yeah, they yeah. just had a lot of turmoil. Did I tell you that uh Kipnis went to high school with my cousin in Chicago? Did he? It was, I feel like Jason Kipnis was definitely that dude on the baseball team who knew he was that dude on the baseball team. I think that's the vibe, but I think my, my cousin was like still friends <laughs> with him. So, like, my cousin lives in Seattle now, and, like, when the Mariners would host the Indians, now the Guardians, and then he was with the Cubs, actually, for a little bit uh, a couple years ago, but he'd, like, come over and say hi to him and stuff like that. But when they That's played the, cool. when they put the Cubs in the World Series, my 
whole mom's family, the whole side is huge Cubs fans. And they all went to they all went to a World Series game. And Kipnis, I think, bought a bunch of tickets for a bunch of the guys. But my cousin didn't because all the guys wore Cleveland gear. And my cousin was like, I don't want to have to be forced to wear Cleveland gear to a Cubs home World Series game. When is oh, this going to happen again? Yeah. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's just nuts to, to see and all that sort of stuff. And he's uh, but I think he's back with the team. Kipnis is in some sort of. I think some sort of managerial capacity, right? Did I see that correctly? I think he is still around because his, you know, once he went to the Cubs, he kind of did fall off. And he was always one of my favorite players just because he didn't do anything else. It was nothing outstanding, but he just did everything. Like he was a five to a player in the most limited way, but you knew you were going to get everything out of that guy. And he wasn't like some giant super athlete. So it was like the everyman's like infielder almost. Yeah. 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 He was, he was fun, but. This uh, the first year of the Guardians might be interesting. We found out in the NL West podcast their first home game against the Giants, so you got a at least a storied franchise there. But uh, in terms of the division, it's going to be really interesting to see. But we can move on to the Detroit Tigers, and um, yes. what is the best way to start with the Tigers? You know, I'm close to the Tigers because you know I live here in the Detroit area, so like every time I'm in the car, I hear about it. And, you know, all my friends and family around here are big Tigers fans, too. And so I said that there was something about kind of the standings projections that I didn't quite agree with. And going back to the uh, Pakota, so I'm just going to spoil here. Pakota had Chicago first, Twins second, Guardians third, Royals fourth, Detroit fifth. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I, I, I really think that Detroit is like the second best team. I think they're better than Minnesota, even with Carlos. There, I yeah. said that. They so Fangraphs has them tied with the Royals. They're both seventy five and eighty seven, which I feel like seventy five is generous of what this team might be able to do. Actually, for both their team, probably. I mean, seventy five wins. I'm looking at that. I'm thinking like because last year they won. I mean, they were the thing about it last year was that they were never actually going to make the playoffs or anything, but people got excited about it because. They started winning games, and they ended up getting to 77-85. I think at one That's point... right. They were super hot for a while. Oh, they were like a gambler's dream because they were just covering every run score every game. Yes. And it I was crazy because they were, t- they were taking advantage of the Twins sucking, the Royals sucking, the Guardians sucking. So, like, they really just got in this role, and it might have been, you know, in part teams that were just bad. But I think they just had shown a lot with, you know, really... Only a you know only a few of their cards shown. They have so many young guys that are going to come up this year, which we can get to. But like to the fact they did that with like just two of their really good prospects kind of showing out impressed me. And I'm yeah. a Tigers hater traditionally, <laughs> oh, yeah. like very very vehemently a Tigers hater yeah. for a long time. But I've come around on this team because I really think that they are doing it. They they're following kind of the White Sox slash Astros plan of just you know tearing it to the ground. And building back up with the draft and young guys and taking chances on dudes and not spending money and like that pisses people off, but it's just the right way to do it when you're rebuilding. Yeah, it absolutely is. And they've certainly done it for the last few years now of just seeing what they're able to do. And you mentioned a bunch of young guys. Uh it's actually really funny that I mentioned Yahoo's not always updated. If you go onto their projected depth chart on Yahoo, they don't even have a first base graphic for there. <laughs> and one of which is one of their high, most highly touted prospects in Spencer Torkelson, 
which is crazy to think that they wouldn't update that or at least have Miguel Cabrera there of some sort of like honorary first base position. Right. Yeah. But I think they're going to be one of those teams where like you, they have, like you said, Torkelson and they have Riley Green, the outfielder, two, you know, two of the top, I think, 10 prospects in baseball. Um, and I don't think those guys will break camp as much as people really want them to. Yeah. But I think that'll be something where I, I don't know what they changed about service time in the new CBA. I know that they adjusted somewhat so teams couldn't, you know, manipulate the shit out of that. But whenever those guys are ready to come up, I think they will be there because, you know, that'll be an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And to look at their pitching staff a little bit, not to jump around too much, but like they added Eduardo Rodriguez. They still have Casey Mize. The rest of the rotation is still shaky. I know Casey Mize has had kind of a up and down start to his pro career, but it's really that's probably the the best way to look at it. Right. Because their bullpen isn't really much to, to talk home about, except for uh, having a Funkhauser for you curb fans out there. I think that they've got two arms in the. They got three now. They signed Andrew Chafin, who was yeah, with the Cubs and the Astros. He's in the A's. He's a, he's good. He's just a solid like bullpen arm, though. I don't think he's like a setup guy or a closer or anything like that. Yeah. Gregory Soto was their All Star last year. I think he was an All Star more because everyone had to have one. Yeah. Um, and then Michael Fulmer is a guy who was like super highly rated starting pitching prospect for them for a long time. Um, they got him for the Mets for uh, Suspedes years ago. And I think he's also a guy who, you know, will oscillate between setup man and closer with Soto. And those three are pretty good. But yeah, outside of that, I think it's really <laughs> not a whole lot to look at. But even the pitching, and that's the one spot where I still am kind of not sold on this, is that Rodriguez, I know he's big and he throws hard and he's pitched in big games and has rings and all this stuff. And like, that's great. But I just think he's never been that good. Like he's kind of just a guy, not yeah. just a guy in the bad way, but he's not an ace. He's not a number one guy. Like he's got a career ERA in like low fours. Like his best seasons are 3.8, 3.82 ERAs. And he always has an elevated whip. So he needs that defense behind him. And I, I, he's, he's fine. Like he's fine. And I think that for this team this year right now, he's perfectly fine to be like that veteran at the top. But I would not expect the pitching staff to really do the damage it would need to unless you know Casey Mize or Tark Scooble really blow up yeah that, that's a really good point and it's it's funny they have them at their runs against per game they have them as the third best with the twins letting up more runs on fan graphs I'm not sure how updated that is we'll jump into the twins in a little bit uh run score they have them in dead last in the division at 4.43 which I feel like is kind of generous I think that's they really have Spencer, Torkel Spencer Torkelson high in terms of their projected batting average and all that. And they have him, to your point about uh, service time, which I don't have what the exact is in front of me, but they have him getting over 500 plate appearances this year, which yeah, who knows? That'd, if, be, that'd be a full season. Yeah, that would be huge and it would be, would be great to see. But like, if you're going to throw out Cabrera to first base, which I doubt you would at this point in his career, if you're going to have anybody else try to do that you have show but you're gonna have him probably at second base i know he can play first a little bit but it is really yeah. like how you're gonna try to construct this lineup until you bring up some of those young guys you might have a really slow start to the year and then depending on how it goes for the guardians for the royals if the twins it doesn't work out you know you maybe you get some excitement like you did in the middle of last year but it's gonna be tough to see to start and yeah it, it's gonna be weird <laughs> to the see thing, what this is gonna be and the thing we haven't mentioned yet, and I think when you mentioned first base, I think the guy who fits in there is Eric Haas, who had a good year last oh, year playing some one. catcher. They got they got Tucker Barnhart. Now he's 
a good defensive catcher. He's not going to like, well, he's not a fan, he's not like a fantasy kind of guy, but he'll a real life good catcher. But Haas is a guy who like, it's kind of a folk hero around here because he's got this giant lumberjack beard and he's like, not, he's jacked, but he's also like fat jacked. Oh, so like, he just has, yeah, he's, he came with the school around here too. I think he went to Oakland University. So like, he's a guy who had a good season last year, can fill in at first base, I think, until they need to get Torkelson up. But I think the thing that's, that you look at these rookies and like everyone wants them to do great, but I think it's always better to caution that most of these guys are probably going to suck when they come up. And I don't know if it's Torkelson or Green. I think one of them will be better than the other. They won't both tank, but I would be not be surprised if they both were just average at best players, you know, 240, 250 batters. Um, but at the same time, it's better than what they have because outside yeah. of that, it's like Robbie Grossman, Jamer Candelario, Scope, like you mentioned. Akil Baez Badu is they the have guy. now. I forgot they added him, but that's... my. Here's my state on Javi Baez. I, I, fans and you know, radio personalities and people here really wanted them to go out and spend big on a shortstop. It was a big thing last year. Like they had a bunch of weenie arms at short and they couldn't get the ball to first. It was really ugly. So Javier Baez in theory fixes that because he's a pretty good defender, but he's also, if you look at the like advanced numbers, he's also a very risky defender. Like yeah. he tries to do everything. So it's both kind of a blessing and a curse. And offensively, you know, we've seen him be, really really good and fun or really terrible as recently as two years ago well even um, last year when he, he first went to the Mets he wasn't he ended up batting better than I realized he did but when he first went to the Mets people were pissed off at New York I have a lot of Mets fans that were not happy with him at first most of his good numbers last year happened with the Mets like I mean I know he had yeah, the 20 he turned it runs, on but like towards the end he really turned it on yeah he had a good end of the season but the thing is the way that the that Comerica Park is kind of set up, and I'm not smart enough to explain why. I just know that it's kind of been one of the more difficult parks to hit. And then, you know, in fantasy circles, it was always the reason that Nick Castellanos, current Philly, wasn't as good as he could be because that park limited his style of hitting just because of where the walls are and how it's kind of arranged. And so, as we saw, Nick Castellanos leaves Detroit, he goes to the Cubs, pretty damn good. He goes to the Reds. Very really good. good. Now, hope, and now hopefully with the Phillies, he'll probably be really good again. I can't see why he wouldn't, but Javier Baez profiles the same way. So I just wonder how much this part will limit his ability to do Javier Baez type things. So that's my only like concern with it. I, I think he's fun and I think he sells tickets. And I think that's why they signed him. Yeah. It shows they're trying. It shows they're trying, but it just doesn't show. I mean, he's not Carlos Correa, which is who they would have liked to sign. So. Yeah. That's the only like caution there, but I mean, I could be wrong. Javier Baez is like Javier Baez of three years ago, where he's hitting thirty-four homers and you know driving a hundred runs. Like they're going to be really good. They're going to give the White Sox a run if he's that good. So yeah, you know, it could go either way. There's a very high variance with the Tigers. Yeah. So kind of to finish the the thought, he started September batting two forty-two on the season. He ended the season at two sixty-five. He got almost up to two seventy. So his September. I guess because I've ridden off the Mets at that point because at that point I was just depressed about the Braves really just taking over the Phillies. But, yeah, his September wasn't bad or was really good. Not even just wasn't bad. Yeah. The Tigers are one of those teams where I could see – I could easily see them – because, I mean, I look at these Pocota stands again. They kind of give you a little graph view of it. And, like, you know, most of their simulations come out with them winning around, like, 45 to 50% of their games. I think it would be my expectation for them to be 500. 
if you know if everything goes well yeah. you know 81 81 but there's a, there's not there's a world where i could see those two rookies coming up playing well those two young pitchers really finding their groove there's a lot of Rodriguez. yeah you know if, if these five things all go well i could see them winning 85 86 87 games like the kind of like the guardians did last year but yeah. the one thing with the tigers that we have not mentioned was that this is probably one of the more fun things last year about this team was that Miguel Cabrera is chasing 3,000 hits. Yes. Now, he's not very good. He had a good year for him lately last year, um, but he's obviously a shell of himself, and he makes a bajillion dollars. But it was so cool. I don't know if you've ever done this to, like, I guess the Phillies really haven't had anybody chasing super milestones, but, like, going to games and just knowing there's an opportunity for Miguel Cabrera to hit 500 today. Like there was like a two week period where he could have hit his fifth home, 500th home run. And we were like, holy shit, it's going to happen today. Yeah. You know, the crowd's electric for this terrible team. So, you know, that's one thing that people will have to cheer about early in the season because I think he's only like a handful of hits away from 3,000. Let me check. Yeah. He's 13 he's at, hits away. He's at, he's at 2987. Yeah. So does it happen? So what, he's at 13. What does it happen? May? Or do we think he gets it? I mean, honestly. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out if it'll happen at home because that's the thing that like people actually care about is if it happens here. And so, I mean, you know, they've got six games at home to start the season and they go away for four and they come back. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets it in late April yeah. to get to 13 hits by the end of April against the Rockies or something like that would not surprise me. So that's another thing that'll be pretty exciting is to see if he can actually, you know, pull that off early on, because once he does that, I think, his value to the franchise is mostly symbolic at that point. Yeah. Do, uh, does he pull the Mr. 3000 and, and retire immediately? I don't think that Bernie <laughs> Mac was owed like $90 million after that. So I doubt it, <laughs> but I might be wrong. I don't know. The closest I got to a baseball milestone was we were at a game when the Phillies were absolutely terrible, but they used to have these awesome like bobblehead giveaways and whatnot. And they were playing the Marlins and each hero was like, I think he was either four or five hits from 3000 in, in MLB. And Mm -hmm. he got, he started the game like three for three or something. So all of a sudden the Marlins are killing the Phillies. And this is like, still like they're the up and coming team. They still have Christian Yelich. This is pre Jose Fernandez passing away. And Ichiro comes up in like the sixth inning. So people are like starting to realize like, Oh, we might get an opportunity here because of the away team. He's definitely batting two more times. And I think he walked or something and people booed. <laughs> like, yeah. They wanted to see the, they wanted to see potentially a milestone, but uh, that's the closest I've ever been. Yeah. We went to three games and Cabrera was at four nine nine and like people were getting so pissed that people were walking him and stuff. And they weren't walking him on purpose. Like they were just these, you know, borderline young guys who were just nervous pitching against Miguel Cabrera who were like, I don't want to be the one to give it up, but I oh, just yeah. can't control my pitches. And so, yeah. But one last thing is related to like records and stuff is uh, actually years ago before I moved away um, in college, we went to a Tigers and Twins game. Okay. And it was the game in which Tommy hit his uh, 600th. Oh, hell and, yeah. He actually hit, he actually hit 599 and 600. 600 landed like, it was like my Facebook cover photo was it. And it was like me circled in Microsoft Paint where I was. It landed like six feet in a row in front of us to the left. That's incredible. Um, yeah, so we saw that happen, and, like, he did a lap around the um, stadium with his family in the middle of the sixth inning and stuff. It was pretty cool to see that and be there for that, even if it wasn't for, like, a team I care about, you know? But yeah. Jim Tommy was a White Sox for a long time, so it was fun. Yeah, that was really cool. He, um, 
I think I saw like 401 or 402. I wasn't at 400. He is 400. This is Philly. But uh, that was oh, yeah. when he got traded away and people like weren't sure about Ryan Howard, who like had his unreal rookie year. Uh, there, there were people that were bummed. And then Ryan Howard wins MVP and then Jimmy Rollins wins MVP and then they win the World Series. So nobody really remembers that. of <laughs> The Jimmy to- Jim Tomey, the first experience right. in Philly. But then he came back for a little bit after. I think it was after that because it was I think. It wasn't his last stop because I think he went back to Cleveland. But um, had Jim Tomey Seriously, one of those, great. one of those baseball players that I feel like you don't see guys like that anymore. Like no. just a tank who, like, you know, you kind of like a tank in that you didn't think he ever did steroids because he was kind of fat. You know, like he wasn't like he was just ripped and big and like large in every way, but just was so good at everything. Like yeah. it was just you know, one. You're right. One of the most underrated like stars of our past, like. 10 yeah. years yeah it was he was great but let's uh let's keep it moving i have a yep. feeling this entry might be quick the kansas city royals <laughs> um the royals you mentioned it made some moves um but i don't think there's a lot of hype around this team i feel like the zach Grinke return is probably the biggest news to talk about out of this team maybe that's pretty cool though it's yeah, pretty it cool, cool that he's back. Like, it's a nice story, even though I don't think he's very good. He's such a weird, like, introverted guy. Like, I've read some articles about him from back in the day when he was with when he had Casey that, and they, he won his Cy Young. Yeah, the year he won his Cy Young, there was all the stories about him with mental health and stuff like that. I feel like one of the first big mental health stories, right? Yeah, it was kind of before it was Vogue, as it is now. You know, it was kind of like the first athlete to really be vulnerable that way. Yeah. Did you see the thing today? He, um, I, I think it was today. It might have been yesterday. But he's like taking a warm up in the in the bullpen and some guy comes up and goes, Zach, can I get your autograph? And it's some old guy who's wearing like either a legalize it shirt or something with a bunch of marijuana leaves on it. And Granky goes like, sure, but I got to get your picture. So the guy, the guy lets Zach Granky take his picture. Then Zach Granky gives him an autograph. Hey, what you know, self-medication, however you want to do it. Yeah, you know, whatever. That's yeah, great. However it works. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> the Royals is a team. They, um, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's the same story as last year of just kind of the same guys are still there. They still got Salvador Perez. They still got Whit Merrifield, but not a ton outside of that. Right. And, you know, they still, they still have Dozier. They have been not atten- yet. Still Ben Attendee. Not yet. I think that they're going to be one of those teams that I think when we watch how these teams are kind of oscillating and like Minnesota, we'll talk about, they're kind of like in that we're trying hard stage, but probably are nearing that rebuilding stage. But I really think like Cleveland is going down and I think Kansas City is going up. And Kansas City reminds me a little bit of Detroit in that they have these really good players, like younger guys, but they just haven't gotten to the point where they want to start spending money yet. And that's the difference between the two teams. But I look at it, I mean, Salvador Perez just had what you could call the, you know, the greatest catcher season as a hitter of all time, which is pretty crazy to say. I mean, you look at the numbers and it's just mind boggling. Like Salvador Perez at 31 years old, 273, 48 home runs, 121 RBI, like leading the league in home runs as a catcher is crazy. Like I, I, it brings me back to like thinking about Mike Piazza and stuff, which yeah. is when we were like teen, like young teenager age kids. So like that in itself is pretty wild. And what's kind of funny about it too, is that their top prospect or one of them, MJ Melendez is also a catcher and he's also too good for the minors at this point. He's going to be up. So like, they're going to have these two really good catchers 
and obviously if you're rebuilding you say okay we'll just trade the better one and let the kid play but like why would you trade south press at this point like he's your franchise it's like a fan favorite who who sells tickets we were just talking about it of if you traded him that's just a slap in the face to the to the franchise like i can't like if you thought about guys in the american league right now or even baseball right now like i don't think there's somebody i think of more as being like impactful and associated with a single franchise than Salvador Perez because he's not like a super duper star. You know, like I think of Mike Trout and the Angels a lot, or I think of Jose Abreu and the White Sox to a similar extent. But like Perez has not only been there for his whole career, he's not only had like an amazing like MVP caliber year, but he helped them win a World Series. So like all these different things, like that's crazy. But also, I mean, like I said, you know, tomorrow, I mean, they have Nick Prado is a really good first base prospect. He's off to a nice start in the spring. And I think Bobby Witt is the one that everybody knows the shortstop who today I saw it like on every social media platform, MLB was showing his swing side by side with Mike Trout's swing. And they're like, this is so similar. Look at this. And I'm like, well, don't <laughs> compare him to Mike Trout yet. Yeah. But like, he's good. Like Bobby Witt's going to be really good. And that's one of those rookies who I can see not struggling out of the gate just because he probably could have come up last year and hit 240 and hit 25 home runs, but they decided to keep him down. So, like, I think as time goes, they're going to keep bringing these guys up and you'll see them doing a lot better. But you're right. The major league roster does not does not bring a lot of joy outside yeah. of, like, Benintendi's fine. He's a guy. Mondesi, if he's healthy, could be – could be electric. you know yeah ri- ridiculous but why why bet on that and with Merrifield like they should trade him a hundred percent because yeah. that dude can help any 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 contender like the White Sox if they had with Merrifield in right field that'd be nice yeah well we I didn't mention it was for one you're right he plays pretty much anywhere you want to almost a a non-dodger plug-and-play guy but how many teams do we see every year that are always in need of some sort of either middle middle relief corner outfield help? And you're exactly right of any team that that could use it. Just get that kind of guy. And Maryfield is probably one of the top guys to get from there. And it feels like they always are like there's always a report where someone's like the Royals are trying to shop with Maryfield, but no one will meet their price. And I'm like, they must value that guy. Like he's a superstar, which I get. You should take the you should value your guys that high if you don't actually want to trade them. But it just seems like they need to just get over it and move him because I think how old is he now? Let's see. Like 33 years old. There's, he has no business being on a team like this. Like he's too good to be on this team. I just, it's just one of those guys where I I don't know how many more of them they can acquire, but like I can see the Dodgers getting, but Merrifield me being just like son of a bitch that the Dodgers don't need. need Right. (laughs) Unless they have another situation where, where Corey Seager gets hurt and they train for Manny Machado. Like that's the only that's the only reason why they should ever entertain the idea, or we as baseball fans should pallet them getting Merrifield. Honestly, I think this is underrated. I know this is not the AL Central, but like we talk about the Yankees and like that. Oh, the Yankees just buy players and trade for stars, and it's just the Yankee thing. It's just not the right way. But like the Yankees aren't really that anymore. Like they don't go out and just sign whoever they want anymore. They do have young guys that come up. The Dodgers are that. And as an adult seeing that versus being a kid seeing the Yankees, I now see the flaw in my logic. Isn't that like, it's not that those teams are bad. What they do is wrong. It's that I'm jealous that they're capable of both spending a bajillion dollars on any superstar they want, like Freddie Freeman, 
but also having like the elite farm system. It's not like they sacrifice anything. No, they just have it all. They have everything. And it's crazy to see. And I thought yeah. about this just with Clayton Kershaw's career. The Dodgers have never been bad. He's been in baseball. This is his 15th season. And they've made the NLCS at least however many times and now however many World Series in the last five years or six years, whenever the first one they made was like, it's just nuts to see. It's that's the thing is, I think, like you said, like you don't like and I didn't really I don't really hate the Dodgers per se. I'm just kind of fatigued by the Dodgers. Like I'm sick of seeing them do well. Yeah. And that's the point where I've reached where it's like, okay, they're good again, whatever. Yeah. 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 It's I always have a soft spot in my heart because my grandmother moved to LA when my dad was a kid and she was a diehard Dodger fan, but it is now, now that they're just there and especially after getting Freeman where he killed the Phillies forever. And now it's just the Dodgers continuing to seemingly reign supreme, even though you know they won in the COVID year and you can say anything you will about that and all, and you know, they didn't make the world series last year, but it's still nuts just to see where they're at. Well, now Frank Freeman can kill the Phillies in the playoffs, not the regular season. So at least you have that going for you. Yeah, that's a good point. And then, uh, well, we'll see once they, we didn't talk about this, the, uh, the fact that they're changing the schedule next year and how every team will play every team at least once. I don't know how that'll go intra-league. So, like, I don't know if that means the Phillies and Dodgers play more than once or if it's just they're sacrificing within division games so you can make up those interleague games. But that'll right. be interesting. That'd be nice, though. I like that a lot more as a fan because, like, you know, you get to that point and like, and I know they move interleague around, so it's like all season, Yeah. but you kind of get to that point where it's like July or August and you want to go to a game and you're like, shit, I really want to go see the Marlins play again, yeah, like exactly. you get, or like the Royals again. Like yeah. it's just always the same teams over and over. So that actually is a good thing. One more thing with the Royals is that fantasy tip is stolen bases are hard to come by. It's hard to find guys who don't just tank you everywhere else for stolen bases. Yeah. But I will say a guy that I kind of like who will hit, you know, one home run this year is Nicky Lopez. He stole 22 bags last year in 150 games. They like to run. He's only 27 years old and he's got a solid job. He's just a good player. Like he's a better real life player, but like he's just the kind of guy that you root for because he's 5'11 and he is fast and, you know, he slaps the ball around. So, yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. So any other thoughts before we move on? No, I am out of Kansas City Royal slots. Yeah, I, I pretty much am too. Uh be excited <laughs> to see the Granky experience. It'll it's kind of funny to see of seeing Bobby Witt with just already Fangraphs has him as the highest war player on the Royals. So you know, I think you might that is pretty wild. Yeah. So hopefully you're right that he, he lives up to the lives up to and is is ready. But um yeah, let's move on. Minnesota Twins. We mentioned it at the top when we started to talk about this division. They've made a lot of additions, and yes. let's let's dive into it. They obviously add. They, it's like a lot of additions. It's, it's a lot of additions, but do they matter? Exactly. They add Urshela. They add Gary Sanchez from the Yankees. They add Carlos Correa, which is probably the big one. They add some pitching, but does it matter for you as the AL Central guy? Do you feel any pressure from the Minnesota Twins? No, I don't think they're very good. Just because I look at their pitching staff, and like Sonny Gray is fine. I like him. He's good. He's been good for the Reds. He's had a lot of injury issues yeah. dating back to his time with the A's even. So like he's definitely not a guy who you can 
have it top of your rotation and also feel confident that you're going to get 30 starts out of him. Even, I don't know if you can even feel confident you'll get 30 starts out of anybody at this point. But yeah. behind him, it's like Dylan Joe Bundy. Ryan was a guy. Dylan Bundy, yeah, Dylan Bundy had his year with the Orioles, but he's been, or A's, but he's trash. Uh, Joe Ryan was good with the Rays last year. Um, and a little bit with the Twins, he might be a guy. Bailey Ober is a guy who I know people are talking about. It's like a fantasy sleeper type. Um, but he had a lot of injuries in the minors, so it's hard to kind of feel what he is. Yeah. I'm Randy Dobnik is garbage. And then their bullpen, really. I think they lost uh Alex Colome, who was one of their you know top relievers. So now it's kind of just Taylor Rogers and a bunch of dudes. And like, even if I look at their offense, like if that peaks, I still can't see a situation where that pitching staff is good enough as it stands to even remotely carry them in a division. Yeah, it's crazy to look. So Mentioned it of Fancraft's projected uh, runs scored, runs against. The Twins are the second highest in the division behind the Royals, which that tracks. But they also have them as the highest for runs scored in the division at 4.79, which I feel like they're really Wait, ahead of the White Sox. Ahead of the White Sox. White Sox are 4.75. <laughs> yeah, which is absurd. They have them at a negative run differential projected. Which, but their pitching staff is because their pitching staff is so high, or but they are projected to be so high to let up so many runs. But they think their offense, which again, you add Carlos Correa, that's great and everything. But what they're also sporting in terms of a projected lineup, you need to make sure for one that Byron Buxton stays healthy. And I know he needs yeah. a, he's an awesome outfielder. We've already gotten Byron Buxton highlight plays in center field, but he was hurt last year and he's been hurt throughout his career. He's had obviously ups and downs but has become a certified bona fide star. Max, Max Kepler still not bought in on him. And they're, I'm sure they're thinking that he's going to be, he's going to be high. Jorge Polanco is getting up there in age. I just, I don't buy it. I don't buy this team. And I know that the people are really psyched on them. I've seen people tweet and put on Instagram. Oh, this lineup's insane. Urshela Sanchez. I don't think there's a reason why you had to trade both of them for Josh Donaldson. And I just don't really see it in terms of what they're trying to sell us in terms of this team and what they're going to be able to do. I mean, ESPN doesn't even have Urshela start. And I like Urshela. They don't have him starting. They have him backing up Larissa Rai, who is like literally kind of that same yeah. Nicky Lopez about speed type dude. And then Correa. And like Correa changes the calculus quite a bit because he's very good. Um, I think it's also, and I said this a lot when the Tigers were kind of rumored to be in on him, is like he doesn't have the same like comfort and durability that you'd want out of a superstar guy. Like Carlos Correa was great when he was surrounded by studs, like the Houston lineup probably shielded him from a lot of crap that he couldn't handle both as a hitter. And just kind of like, if Carlos Correa was struggling, like no one's going to jump on him because it's like, Oh, well they have Jose Altuve and they have Kyle Tucker and stuff. So like you're kind of shielded from everything by being on a good team. And I always question, or at least in curious how guys go from, those lineups where they're insulated by stars and they have all this success. Like how do you go and carry that over to a bad team or yeah. a team that needs to get better? And like you said it, like Max Kepler was really good. The year of the juice ball has been terrible since they took away the juice ball. Yeah. Jorge Polanco was really good last year, but like he's 30 years old. Like he's getting, he's it's now or never for him. Yeah. And then Alex Kirilov is a guy who I like, but like he was hurt last year and didn't really show anything. And Gary Sanchez, like, Miss me with that. Like that dude, I'm not going to be fooled by that again. He's been bad for three straight years. Yeah. But my thing is, 
what she's done the last couple of years. Like, yeah, and then Ryan Jeffers is much better. That's the other thing. No. And like the thing is, I think okay, so they're outfielders. Like Trevor Larnack is like a not like a star, but he's a very good player. He's a highly rated prospect for them. Doesn't get the pub, but I think Buxton's the thing. Like if Byron Buxton plays 140 games, which he's only done once, so like that's the first caveat. But Jesus. if he plays 140 games and has the same production that he had like last year, you know he might be the MVP. And the odds of your team not making an impact with the MVP are very low when you play in a division this bad. Yeah. So like, it's possible, like I said, the Tigers, like Tigers could win 85, 86. If Byron Buxton plays, you know, 85% of the games and is an MVP in all those games or, you know, plays like that, they could with Carlos Correa, they could do that. But that's like, I mean, if I was to like handicap that outcome, I'd probably put that at like a 50% chance just because I know the Byron Buxton thing and I love him and I think he's great, but yeah. like, yeah, yeah the same that's, that's a dumb, that's a dumb bet. Sucker bet to think that he's going to stay healthy because he's never done it. So yeah. like, you're trying to be the smartest person in the room by saying that. Well, like it almost reminds me and it's even worse of the comparison I was going to make of like the 07 Phillies that made the playoffs in the last day of the season and everything, because like their top guys were really firing on all cylinders. But they don't have, unless Sonny Gray is Cy Young caliber Sonny Gray, which you know he had good years in Cincinnati. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna oversell him there. But like, I don't think the rest of their rotation is gonna step up in a way to really make them have a serious push, even an expanded format, to do that. And it's just so like, this is also assuming that Jorge Polanco is having a great year if he's really gonna be in the top right. half of their lineup. Like, really outside of the top three, maybe. The, the rest of their lineup, I just not sold on, and I want to. I need to see it when I believe it. That was our point of the Padres last week. Of I just need to see health. I need to see production. I need to see a lot of things out of this in order to really buy in on this team. So the the amount of hype they're getting, you know, I guess eighty one and eighty one is just Fangraphs sh- giving it a shrug of we can't project injuries. So here you go. Yeah, you can't, and that's the thing that computers often forget is you cannot take into account whether Byron Buxton will have a hamstring injury that takes him out for three weeks or three months because we've seen it can be it can be both and so i think you know it's always a funny thing where you try and figure out like what makes a guy injury prone versus what makes a guy like prone to injury they're different i feel like when we say injury prone we just give this guy this this title where like oh he gets hurt all the time and then we sometimes say guys just are unlucky i think Buxton's unlucky, but I don't yeah. know how you just like like it's just bad luck then because that dude's hurt every year. And the problem is they have this top of their farm system's pretty nice. They have Rice Lewis, who was a top pick a few years ago. Um, he missed last season with an injury, but he's up there. Austin Martin, they got from Toronto. I forget the oh, it's for the um Burrito steel, the right? Trade of, yes. So they've yeah. got these, he's he's like a ready-made, like come up there and play type of dude. Like he played at Vanderbilt. He's ready to go. So like, and then Jose Miranda's a guy who gets some fantasy buzz. So like three players who are ready to come up, none of them pitchers though. So like additional offense is not going to help them if they're relying on, you know, Joe Ryan and Dylan Bundy to be their two of their top three pitchers. Cause I mean, think of it this way. If the twins make the playoffs and they go into a five game series, you're starting Joe Ryan and Dylan Bundy in games two and game three and maybe Bailey over in game four. Like I yeah. just can't see a pitching staff like that making the playoffs or even them in, in a three game series of where one team's coming out of the AL East 
So you're playing, depending on who comes out of it, you're playing maybe the Blue Jays unless they don't win, maybe the Rays, maybe the Yankees, maybe the Red Sox. Maybe you're playing the Angels, teams that all have really good hitters, and you're relying yeah. on guys that not great track records, and some of whom have never pitched in a serious September or October game. And it's just, right. you know, as, as mundane of a take as that is, it does matter at a certain point. And some of these guys, yes, the hitters haven't had that serious of, of October or September baseball, but you know, there's more, pe- there's more pressure on the pitcher, especially the starter in those kind of games, especially in a three game series where you're potentially, and I would think if the Minnesota twins make the playoffs, they would be the away team. Right. And I mean, that's the thing is the twins and they just have this, oh, I mean, I don't know how to start. It's a bugaboo. I mean, the, the, the twins playoff history, when you look at it and you oh, see so like, the, and it's not even so bad when you look at it from like a broader perspective, because it's so bad just in one way is that they cannot beat the Yankees. I feel like if they would have That's played true. the Yankees any other time, they could have potentially done it. But even the Astros, they got swept two years ago when they played the Astros, but like they've lost what full, what is this? Uh, hold on. Three, six, nine. Um, I forget what, what prospect they said wasn't even born the last time the the Twins won a playoff game, but it's been a very long time, I believe. Since 2004. 2004 is their last win. Yeah, they've lost 15 straight playoff games, which is just ridiculous. It's like, absurd overall. Yeah, and I mean they had some good teams in there too, obviously. Um, but I mean it's just like the Yankees. They haven't beat the Yankees. The Yankees have knocked them out one, two, three, four, five, six times in the last seven or eight playoff appearances. So it's, it's just wild to have a, this. A wild card game that was maybe one of the right. more absurd, aside from that Nationals the, Brewers wild card game, maybe the most absurd no, wild card game we've ever seen. The, the most absurd wild card game is the Braves. Was it the Braves and Cardinals where they called the infield fly and it was like. Oh, yeah. That was 30, a wild card game. I thought, was, I thought that was NLDS. Oh, maybe it was. That yeah. was the most ridiculous playoff game. That was game one of the most ridiculous playoff games ever. Yeah. Like 35 yards away from the fence, so like in field fly. Like yeah. BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, for, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the Twins, I, I'm not sold on them. I mean, to set if you're going to set the 81-81 that Fangraphs has, I guess I'd take an over just because of how bad the rest of the division could be. But hopefully it's, it's more competitive in that in that midfield, if you will, of the division. But it's just like you think about it, like, okay, so if you tell me that Carlos Correa is going to play the same thing with Buxton. If you tell me Correa is playing 140 games, I would probably lean to say they'll compete for 500. They'll be the second best team, maybe. But, like, otherwise, I mean, he did play almost all the games in 2020, but it was, like, 75, 110, 109, 99, 153. So he's only ever gotten there, like, two times. So, like, it's just a really hard, I don't know, it's just hard to look at that guy and be like, I trust that he'll be there most of the time just yeah. because he's proven he can't stay healthy which is yeah. you know what is what it is yeah it, it's unfortunate of you hope that these good deals work out for teams and, and all that sort of stuff and i don't know it's i just need to i'll believe it when i see it from them and if it's really that good great but i don't think it i don't even th- as you mentioned with the the starting pitching it's just not built for the playoffs they'd have to i don't know what else they have to give up in terms of trying to go out and get a big arm at the trade deadline but I don't know if it's right. going to be there. And especially with an expanded playoff. We saw the first couple of years where they added the second wild card of how boring the July 31st deadline was. Granted, there was still the waiver wire one, but now it's just July 31st. But I, I have a feeling this year that teams are going to be really, really picky in terms of who they're giving up at the trade deadline. 
Yeah. No, and they should be because they don't have to go out there and, you know, throw prospects around because there's that extra spot that will kind of, you know, secure your feelings about your team. Yeah. All right. So it sounds like we can give our projections, but it sounds like we're kind of in the same spot of what the chalk is of White Sox, Twins, Guardians, Tigers, Royals. Nope. I am going to go White Sox, Tigers. Okay. Twins, because I think the Twins could finish in second. Like, it's not, I wouldn't feel good about it. So it's like Chicago first for sure, Detroit second, which is actually where they, they've moved up on, I think it was FanDuel. They're like the second highest uh, odds. Oh, the, the future the, odds. The favorite, Ooh. the future odds in the central. They're second, they're favored to finish in second. So, like, it's it's they're like right there with Minnesota. So, so the public or the sharps, whoever you want to look at, is is thinking about them as that team. So like Detroit second, Minnesota third. I think Cleveland and Kansas City. You can look at it either way because Cleveland could finish there if they keep Jose Ramirez, and if they trade him, I think I could oh, see Kansas City jumping up. So like that's a good they're point. the bottom two for sure. But I still like I said, I think I like Kansas City's future more than Cleveland. So yeah, I would say yeah, that's Ch- fair. Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota. Kansas City, Cleveland. That's fair. The Guardians last. Okay. Okay. That's fair. All right. So any final thoughts on the division or just baseball in general before we wrap this up? No. Um, Excited. I think it's going to be a good season. I think the the American League specifically, I know you're a National League guy and there's a ton of good teams there. Um, You know, I think the American League's got a lot of parity. I think the the NL does too. I think the, the Central has two good teams in Milwaukee and St. Louis. I think the East has three good teams in Atlanta, New York, and Philadelphia. Um, And I think the West has potentially three good teams in San Diego, San Francisco, and LA. And I'm, like you said, I want to see it from San Diego, but after watching the Braves win the World Series without Ronald Acuna, like it really opens my eyes to the possibility that you don't, you know, as long as you get hot and you figure it out, you're good as long as you have the pitching. And so, um, you know, the one thing I kind of hope for this year is that, you know, the East is so jumbled up. I'd like to see Toronto have a good season. I think they've been building for this point. And I think like Vlad Guerrero and Bobochet are just outstanding hitters. And I hope that they can compete in that division. And the other thing is, you know, in the West, I just, I like the angels and I've wanted the angels to do well. Yeah. And I want Mike Trout to do well and Otani to do well and play in big games. So I hope this is the year where they finally can do that because it's been pretty boring seeing those two like play like MVPs on this trash roster. So I hope this is the year they finally figure it out. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And we still have to do the AL West, but I hope so. I hope adding Thor does something for him if he can stay healthy and that'd be exciting. It would be exciting to have like a really cool race at the end of the season of with this expanded wild card, but seeing like all three spots, maybe a division still up for grabs and seeing like just a, a lot of jockeying in terms of the seeds and everything. And especially with like how the, the wild card or the, the games get picked in terms of the, the AL and NLDS is going to be really cool to see because if a team is super hot, but they end up being like the five seed, like maybe they're the last, the, the last team picked and, or, and, or, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be really cool. It's going to be really exciting, and I'm really excited for the season to start. I can't believe it's two weeks away. It's going to be – it is going to be a hell of a season. It's going to be a battle in terms of endurance, as we mentioned, with the, the double headers and everything there. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's nip on our heels. I can't wait. Yeah. All right, well, Brady, thank you so much for jumping on, man. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, no problem. Thank you, dude. I appreciate. Hey, by the way, this is my favorite American League Central podcast to join every single year. I just want to make sure you know that. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate it. I always <laughs> love, love having you come on for it. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, please subscribe to the podcast. Search the bullpen cart wherever you get your pods. Brady, are you guys still doing um, Never On Brand? We are bringing it back. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming, but we're trying to kind of reshape the theme of it. But I think we're going to try and get back to it uh, next week, hopefully. So, yeah, so look for that. Never on brand. It's on Spotify and uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, and we just babble about random shit. So, it's you know, it's like every white guy in their 30s podcast. But if that's your <laughs> demographic, we've got you covered. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, that's uh, <laughs> a lot of crossover. So. Go, go subscribe to that and be ready for them to drop some episodes. But, uh, yeah, subscribe to them. Subscribe to us. And enjoy the rest of spring training. And until then, we will talk to you soon. And uh, I guess go Sox, right? Hey, go Sox.